I'm Rico. And I'm Jessica. And this is the Always the Critic podcast where a couple of friends review the latest movies, except we literally have zero qualifications to do so. Jessica, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I have been very active on our uh, other Instagram account, ATC Debug Pod. I just enjoy all that Korean content and our friends that we've made over there. So I just want to give that a shout out. I recently started making reels for that account. I was telling you that the first one took me five hours to make. Five hours. Five hours. So I I don't know if I'm cut out for video content, but if you value my sanity and our relationship, you know, all you listeners out there, just go ahead and give those ATC Debug Pod reels a like and a share and just a nice thing to say i don't know like it's very difficult for me to put into words how these reels are like making me crazy okay no no i totally understand uh because making a video like that is not necessarily the easiest thing to do they take time to make yes uh for those people who don't realize if you're on tiktok and you just watch a video that's 30 seconds long oh you don't know how long it's going to be <laughs> that, that took that, that pre- it took content that, creator exactly. to make and edit and ugh, reshoot if they needed to. It's it's crazy. But I appreciate all you video editors out there immensely. Immensely. Yes. <laughs> immensely. Immensely. So. All right. So today we are not going to talk about a new movie. No. We are going to do do that. No, no, because the only movie that probably would have come out or not probably it did come out, uh, but we didn't really feel like talking about it because it's January. January is is the weird month. Yeah, it's the terrible month where all the bad movies that companies kind of feel like, eh, let's just throw it into January and hope it makes some money. Mm -hmm. So instead of us talking about the new movie that came out we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna go back in time and we're gonna do something that we did before we did this last year we did almost exactly a year ago exactly (laughs) we are gonna do an in defense of yes now we are gonna be doing two movies not today today we are gonna do one and then we're gonna follow it up next week jessica has the privilege of starting us off with her pick Uh of the movie that she is going to be defending today yes jessica (laughs) What movie are you going to be defending? I'm going to be defending 27 Dresses. 27 yeah. Dresses. Yes. <laughs> that is uh, that is a movie, my friend. It's a movie. <laughs> Stop. Uh, I don't think you're ready. You don't think I'm ready? Well, I know you're not ready. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. I, I see how it is. All right. <laughs> so... For those who did not listen to our previous episodes on uh, In Defensive, uh, last year we did two. I picked Along Came Polly, which I think is a very <laughs> hilarious movie with one of the greatest performances by Philip Seymour Hoffman. And you chose? <laughs> I chose She's All That. Yes. It is one of the most popular high school uh, comedies of the mm-hmm. late 90s came out mm-hmm. in 99, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I 1999 think so. is one of the great years. So. But Turn of the millennium. Yeah, but it, it has a lot of people with triple last names or triple names like 
Freddie Prince Jr., Rachel Lee Cook, among others, of course. <laughs> Uh, so, I don't know where you're going with that because I thought you were going to mention a third person and make. It I know like a I was looking pattern. for a third person, but I couldn't find one. You know which movie I was thinking of that has three people with three names? It's uh, I know what you did last summer. Oh, Freddie Prince Sarah Jr., Michelle Sarah Michelle Gellar, and Jennifer Love Hewitt. You're right. Yeah, Ooh, the '90s a were one. a big thing for triple names: Jonathan Taylor <laughs> Thomas and Oh, quick. Uh, yeah, no, exactly. Like, there's just people with. Triple names for any old reason. So today, let's talk about 27 Dresses. Yeah. This is a movie from 2008. It was released January of 2008. So if you see a common theme, movies released in (laughs) January. So Jessica, why don't you let us know what this movie is about? IMDb synopsis. After serving as a bridesmaid 27 times, a young woman wrestles with the idea of standing by her sister's side as her sibling marries the man she's secretly in love with. Mm. Mm. Yes. So uh, this movie is directed by Anne Fletcher. Uh, She directed Step Up from 2006. Classic. Yes, classic. And (laughs) The Proposal in 2009. That's another classic right there. Uh, the movie was written by Aline Brosh McKenna. Uh, she is known for writing on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, the TV series. Yeah, she is one of the creators she, of that show. That show is hilarious. Hysterical. I, I love that show. It's so good. <laughs> it is hilarious. Morning Glory is a movie that she has also been part of the writing team for. Morning Glory I found to be entertaining. It's with uh, Rachel like McAdams Glory. and Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. And yeah, there's Diane someone Keaton. else in there. And I yes, can't remember. Who's the who it love is. interest? And I can't. Oh, Patrick Wilson? Yes, it's Patrick Wilson. Yes, it is. Yes, of course it is. <laughs> and then finally, she was also part of the writing team for The Devil Wears Prada, one of my favorite movies of all time. Yes, she's the one that created that snappy script. That yes. Yeah. And finally, Cruella in 2021, yep. which was fine. You can scroll back in your podcast feed and hear our actual thoughts on Cruella if you wish. That is a very um, good point. All of this stuff that you've mentioned right now, like the pedigree of the movie, amazing. Female director, female writer, and they each are have a pretty good resume. Like not the best, but very good. So here, and, and not to get the contention started too early, okay. but out of all the movies that have been mentioned just now between the director and the writer... All the yeah. projects that have been mentioned, the one we're about to talk about is probably the worst out of all of them. Get out. I mean, Step Up, The Proposal. I, mean, I think Step that's Up also is the not only their one. Full, that's also not their full filmo- filmography. No, I know. But it, we're talking I'm about the I'm only hitting like you, the highlights. You decided <laughs> to cherry pick. list. You cherry pick these names of these movies and, yes, and I did. TV shows. And the I one did. we're about to talk about is... Not as good as the ones that you mentioned, is what I'm trying to say. It's not. Well, what are you talking about? I think it's just as good as a proposal. <laughs> oh, no. no uh, yes. Yeah. Let's okay, move let's, on because it is not. Going. So who <laughs> is in this movie? Let us know. Uh, we have Catherine Heigl, James Marsden. Is it Malin or Malin? Uh, Malin. Malin, Malin Ackerman. Malin Ackerman, Judy Greer, and Edward Burns. Uh, that is a very mid-2000s rom-com cast. Yes. James Marsden just got off of Enchanted. 
Katherine Heigl is still riding high off of Knocked Up and Grey's Anatomy. Judy Greer is the best friend in so many rom-com movies. So many. So yeah. many. What's the biggest one? I think I think she's done like 13 going on 30 is like. That's probably the biggest one. As like her biggest uh, supporting. Supporting character. Also in that movie. Was it that? No, no, no. I was thinking of another rom-com because she is one of those best friend supporting actress types. But another one from that time frame was. uh, uh uh, Catherine Hahn. Catherine Hahn, yeah. That was another one from that time who was like a best friend supporting actress in rom-coms. Mm-hmm. Edward Burns. Edward Burns <laughs> is... Yeah, man. Edward yeah, Burns man. has a type of role that he plays. And, and the thing is, I I don't really see him in anything else. Or I haven't watched him in anything else. So Edward Burns is from 27 Dresses to me. That's where he's from to you? To me, yeah. Really? For huh. real. So, like, I I mean, yeah, he is known from that. I personally would know him from Save a Private Ryan. Yeah. Because that's like that's Ryan. the big movie that he's in. But, but he's he, part of the crew. Like he's not <sighs> Yeah, he's, he's not part like of the Tom crew. Hanks of the movie. Yeah, he's not like a major Like Vin Diesel's in that too. Like That is true. Like that is very true. I, I, you always forget about that, that he, he's in that movie. And also Edward Burns kind of like decided to be more on the being a director type of thing. So yes. he never really he's like let, a writer director. Yeah. So he never really pushed his career too far in the acting side. So uh, evidently. Well, yeah, we spent a lot of time on Edward Burns. Okay, so <laughs> the movie itself won a People's Choice Award for favorite movie comedy. <laughs> And it won a Teen Choice Award for Choice yeah. Movie Chick Flick. Yes, it did. Um, you know, if we're talking about the creme of la creme of the awards, <laughs> you definitely want to be winning teen the People's Choice, Choice Award and the Teen Choice Awards. You definitely want to be winning those. I mean, I am choking over here. It's taking everything in me not to just wheeze on the mic. Um, all right, so I don't know where you want to start, but I think, I think there's one place to start. Okay. And it's with our main star. It's Catherine Heigl. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if you guys have noticed, but Catherine Heigl has basically been blacklisted from Hollywood for like the better part of a decade. And I looked into the history of it because I think I was just not very into the film world at that point in my life Mm -hmm. for me to pay attention to the headlines. But basically, she got her start in Knocked Up in the film uh, side and then had, you know, a hit with Grey's Anatomy. And she got paid $300 for Knocked Up. And then for 27 Dresses, she got $6 million. So, like, within a year, she's getting a huge pay raise because of her notoriety and because of the fame she got from Knocked Up. Um, She has been known throughout the years to just speak her mind and be brutally honest about the stuff that she's been in. And that has rubbed everyone the wrong way. That's basically the only reason why she has been blacklisted in Hollywood and why it's taking a lot of effort for her to rekindle her career. Um, she talked shit about the Judd Apatow movie, Knocked Up. 
She said it was a little sexist. It paints the women as shrews, as humorless and uptight. It paints the men as lovable, goofy, fun-loving guys. It exaggerated the characters and I had a hard time with it on some days. I'm playing such a bitch. Like, why is she being such a killjoy? Why is this how you're portraying women? 98% of the time, it was an amazing experience, but it was hard for me to love the movie. Seth Rogen has talked about how this is like a slap in the face to him and how... He loved working with her on Knocked Up. He thought he could make like a ton of movies with her because it was such a great relationship. <laughs> but she slanted like totally just. I mean, I don't think anything she said was wrong, though. I don't think so. Either. For Knocked Up. She went after Shonda Rhimes indirectly um, because <laughs> she was asked about it back in 20, 2008. She was did a Vanity Fair profile and they asked her about her character, you know, Izzy Stevens on Grey's Anatomy. She said it was a ratings ploy, like what they had been doing, I guess, that season. Yeah. It was absolutely something that shocked people. It wasn't predictable and people didn't see it coming. It's our fourth season. There's not a lot of spontaneity left and business is business. I understand that, but I want there to be some cooperation between the business end and the creative end. So there's some way of keeping it real. Mm. So that's a huge slap in the face to Shonda Rhimes, the showrunner. Um, it was like, who would you equate Shonda Rhimes to? Like you can't get on Shonda Rhimes bad side. Uh, Shonda Rhimes is, she's a showrunner. Well, she's more than I mean, a showrunner, it feels like. She's like a producer, writer. Like, she's like basically, a force. In, yeah, I mean, you know? she Netflix gave her a huge deal to produce anything she wanted, pretty much. Yeah. Um, not many she people get that She got a golden ticket with, with Netflix, and she, right. she basically has free creative reign. So she is a huge reason why Grey's Anatomy was a hit. Anyway, the whole thing with the Emmys, you know about the Emmys, right? Uh, could you let the people know okay. just in case they don't? So Katherine Heigl, Emmy winner. Huge plus for this for the casting of her in 27 Dresses because she was an, any, an, an Emmy winner. And a year after she won her Emmy, she was up for another one. But mm. she dropped out. She pulled out of Emmy's contention because she didn't think her role in season four was given the material to warrant a win. She said, I did not feel that I was given the material this season to warrant an Emmy nomination. And in an effort to maintain the integrity of the Academy organization, I withdrew my name from contention. In addition, I did not want to potentially take away an opportunity from an actress who was given such materials. That is a direct, that's a, that's an insult, right? That is. That's an insult toward Shonda Rhimes, like the series creator. And apparently, the, you know, it's hard to to siphon out like what's true and what's not true at this point because the tabloids and the media were hounding Katherine Heigl and printing things that she was like rude. She was a diva. She um, was being difficult on sets of Grey's Anatomy. It all culminated on March 11th, 2010. She did not show up for work and Rhymes just immediately like released Heigl from her contract and people did not know that they had already seen the last episode with her character in it on Grey's Anatomy. Um, I think that Shonda Rhimes hasn't like made it better because she's since gone on to say like things like there were no Heigl's on set 
for her new show, like there Scandal. There were no Heigl's on set. No Heigl's wow. on set. And she follows it up okay. with, I don't put up, I don't put up with bullshit or nasty people. Wow. Okay. Yes. So uh, she recently did an interview. I'm talking about Katherine Heigl. She recently did an interview and she said, I may have said a couple of things you didn't like, but then that escalated to she's ungrateful. Then that escalated to she's difficult. And that escalated to she's unprofessional. What is your definition of difficult? Somebody with an opinion that you don't like? Mm. Now I'm 42 and that shit pisses me off. (laughs) I would be mad if I were her as well. I would be pissed. Because I think she's gotten a lot of crap for no reason. Yeah. It's it's been pretty dumb, everything that's happened to her as far as how she's treated, how she's talked about between, you know, being difficult. And I put that in quotations, being mm-hmm. difficult to work with. Um, now, when it comes to the acting side, just her acting, I think she she's a fine actress. I think she can do certain types of roles now. I don't know if this is me just leaning into the way we view her, but she can kind of have that type of strong, kind of sort of, in a way, bitchy type of personality that she can lend to a role. I don't know if that's me kind of like leaning into the way we view her or if she actually portrays that in certain roles. Like she does come off with a strong demeanor in a lot of her roles. I and so this is going to be a knock on this movie. Okay, I don't okay, see so her that strong. I don't see her as a strong, charismatic leading lady for me to be like, oh, I really hope she ends up with a guy at the end. Yeah, I disagree because I understand where you're coming from that you feel like maybe your opinion or your the whole like zeitgeist of Heigl is playing into your idea that she is just a naturally forceful individual and she can't really deserve the guy at the end (laughs) because of her portrayal. But I really don't feel like that at all. Especially because I am really just finding out all the nitty gritty of what happened for her to just like lose her entire career. And yes, her movies stopped making money. And yes, they're not going to back someone who doesn't make money <laughs> in Hollywood. <laughs> exactly. No. So it was like bad press, bad box office. And she like never recovered. So for this movie in particular, that wasn't the case at all. This movie made $76 million domestically and $162.6 million worldwide. So this was not the issue with this movie. It made a ton of money. Um, I think that she is pretty good in this movie. I would say that the only complaint that I would have for her portrayal is that you don't quite believe that she's still stuck on her boss. (laughs) Oh, okay. And because James Marsden is like in the wings and you're like, why isn't she going for James Marsden? (laughs) If any, if there's anyone that she should be going for, it's James Marsden. Yeah. I mean... It's a little bit tough to believe that she's like in love with her boss who's giving her nothing. <laughs> so <laughs> I think she gets the manicness of these characters that are in rom-coms, right? Like these are extremes. Right. They are extremes. 
you know, knocked up and extreme. That's it was both. definitely that playing into ter- stereotypes and that was her complaint. That was her quote is that she was like, why does she have to be this way? But it is an extreme. It's a rom. It's a rom-com. And that, that was like actually just like an adult comedy. <laughs> um, not much rom in there. But this 27 Dresses, I support her. I like this character. I think that I find her a little bit more relatable where she's like, I have a crush on this dude, but I like admire him more than anything. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's relatable to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I like Catherine Heigl in so much as she's also like drop dead gorgeous okay. to me. And like, how do I put this? She is always a bridesmaid, but like, <laughs> She has to but look bad in these dresses, right? <laughs> she doesn't look bad at all in any of these dresses. Like the dresses are goofy, all twenty-seven of them. But Catherine Hyde, like it's they they had a tough job to make craft dresses that look bad on Catherine Heigl. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I don't know if you want to start with some of these reviews or I can. Because last time we quoted some reviews that came out in 2008. Wow. That is a long time. Yeah. It, or sorry, reviews that came out whenever that movie came out. Right. When the movie came out. Yeah. So I can I can read a couple. You can read a couple, of course. Uh, so I'll start off with uh, the good old New York Times. Okay. <laughs> uh, so the New York Times says, for ease of reference, let's call... The one the heroine ends up with, the right wrong guy. And the one she rejects, the wrong right guy. In the case of 27 Dresses, the right wrong guy is James Marsden, who recently played the wrong right guy in Enchanted. (laughs) While the wrong right guy is Edward Burns, who gets to be the right wrong guy mostly in movies he writes and directs himself. Exactly (laughs) what I mentioned. Exactly what I mentioned. So, I like that one because... Edward Burns is catching stray bullets for some reason. <laughs> he really is. Like in movies that he directs and <laughs> for himself. Uh, that's pretty much the only reason why I put that one in there because I don't think we disagree like with what they said. No, I don't because I will think, hmm, I don't think that James Marsden is a very good leading guy. Hold on, hold on. What? Hold on, okay. let me finish. Okay. So I find Marsden good when he's playing silly. Okay. So like Because what, he's playing Enchanted is one of them. I think he's very good in Enchanted. I think he's playing slightly against what you would typecast him as, which is a leading man like a in a rom-com such as this. Um another good example of him is in anchorman 2 i hold on not a very good movie not a very good movie but the way he portrays like he's the the rival anchor who's so into his looks and he just plays it so like hammy that i think that he really excels when he gets to ham it up and when you you constrain him to just being the lead guy and it, it it's not enough for me. Okay, I understand that it's not enough 
for you, but I like that they've kind of just given this dude who is, again, drop dead gorgeous, um, <laughs> like a wrinkled button down denim jeans and like New Balance sneakers. And they're like, that's the leading guy. <laughs> like, I I appreciate that. Like, he's very like Joe Schmo um, under the radar, like the way that he is. Um, in this movie is not like goofy at all. No, it's not. I like and it. I think it yeah, works. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it's it's fine. Is it the most memorable leading flashy. man? It's not a flashy leading guy. Like it's no, not it's like not. Matthew McConaughey like unbuttoning, like changing his shirt in his office, like in ten. Ten, how to lose a guy in ten days? How to lose like a guy in ten days. Like that'll like that's seared into like everybody's memory. But like James Marsden in Twenty Seven Dresses is pretty um, unique in that he's not that. He's beautiful, but he's not like shirtless. <laughs> no, well, he's not shirtless. I, no, I mean he's he's um, yeah, he's very normal. Okay, so here's here's the one thing that I will say about that. That my biggest criticism, okay. and we could talk about it maybe more in depth in a little bit because there's more things that we could talk about. But your your lead actor and your lead actress, for me, do not feel super captivating. Okay. I think they're very good looking people, but their personalities, I don't think quite mesh together in the roles. So I, I don't buy them too strongly there. Okay. And then like when it comes to acting, they're both doing fine performances, but <clears throat> I can't sit here and say, oh, like an all time moment happened in this movie. That I can remember later on. Like there's moments in rom-coms. And it doesn't have to be the entire movie. But moments where you think back and like. Oh that happened in this movie. And it's very memorable. Whether it's it's a cheesy line. Or whether it's like a very loving moment between two characters. I just don't really remember okay. too much. So you have two arguments here. One is Good that point. Um, they don't really... Neither one jive. of them is super well yeah, neither one of them jive together because of their personalities. Okay, so here's why I disagree with that. Is that on this watch, I especially found myself referring back to when Harry met Sally, especially during their cab ride together at the beginning of the movie, where they have completely different ideologies concerning mm -hmm. marriage. Like that's a major disagreement with them between them, where he's like I hate marriage. What's the point? It's like, you know, sla legal slavery. And she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I, uh, you know, he doesn't believe in it and she does. And it reminded me completely of the men and women can, can slash cannot be friends in When Harry Met Sally. They are two halves of the same coin, right? Right. So there goes that argument. The second argument was that there are no like grand set pieces in this movie. Like if you think 13 going on 30, like the thriller sequence is a is one. Um, if you think how to lose a guy in 10 days, like, you know, there's a bunch in there. There's um, a bunch in there. 
for this movie, I would say that there's two. One is the intro sequence where she's going back and forth between the two weddings and she's changing in the cab. I love that whole thing. Okay. I think that's pretty memorable. I love like how it closes out because obviously they meet and they're in the same cab and the cab driver's the same the whole night. Mm-hmm. And she had told him the cab driver before, like, oh, I'll give you $300 for the whole night if you drive me around the whole night, except you lose $20 every time you look in the rear view because I'm changing back here. <laughs> at the end of the whole thing so like that's the beginning of the cab cab rides at the end she's getting out and she goes here's 140 you know what you did <laughs> like, <laughs> like i love that whole thing and then the second set piece that i remember is of course the benny and the jets sequence which right is really good that's really funny okay um they're 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 fine sequences they're fine uh, I think the first one probably a little more, a little bit more memorable to me, slightly. Okay, the between the two weddings, one's like right. a a Jewish slash Hindi wedding, and then the other one's like a run of the mill, um, like white people wedding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the dresses are she's like wearing a sari in one, and then a regular dress in the other. Um, I like it. I like it. It's uh. It's silly. Silly is is the word. And I don't mind silly. I like silly in yeah. in a rom-com because at the end of the day, there is rom and then there's com. So yeah. you definitely need <laughs> comedy in it. So let's see what else some other reviews had to say about this movie. So here we have that says, the best thing about 27 Dresses, which was written by Aileen Braj McKenna, whose script adaptation of The Devil Wears Prada was far more witty and interesting, is that the guys are not really the point. Or rather, if getting the right one is the point of the story, the spark of comedy is carried by the women in the picture. Okay, so... Too, but it continues. It goes, too bad it's such a dim spark. Hey! <laughs> Miss Heigl. Yeah. The, um, blossom, the blossoming baby mama in Knocked Up that's a weird way to phrase her, has an impressive gift for mugging. Her eyebrows shoot up and scrunch downward with amazing precision, and her mouth contorts itself amusingly when she says things like, oh, God. I don't know what that word is. No, I don't. Hot, hate sex, and I'm Jesus. (laughs) Is the rest of it? Oh, there's still more. There's uh, three paragraphs from so, this one. Which may make the movie sound more interesting than it is. To allay that impression, let me just note that the big comic romantic set piece comes when Jane and the right wrong guy get drunk at a suburban roadhouse and sing Benny and the Jets while dancing on the bar. At least it wasn't YMCA or I got you, I feel good. But still, this is from the New York Times. All right, so... So, okay. They so, talked about <laughs> they talked about how the point of the movie is not so that they get together at the end. Which is this is this is a knock. Really? And I don't see this as a knock at all because I don't think it is like necessarily the point of the movie. I think it's more about um the characters like growth. And how she is getting out of 
like a long standing crush for like the better part of her 20s. She has had this one sided love with her boss and getting out of that and realizing that she's stagnant in her life and she quits her job at the end. And like it's a little more empowering for her than it is about getting together with James Marsden. That's like a icing on the cake. Like it's a good thing, but not the point of the movie. So when it comes like to- the movie's called 27 dresses, right? Right. It's about like her getting out. It's about her this, journey, this, but the movie yeah. does try to sell itself as a rom-com. Yeah. I don't think there's, I don't think it's not a rom-com. I just think it's also pretty revolutionary in that it's not necessarily just about them getting together. Well, using the word revolutionary is... I guess that's too strong of a word, but... That's a strong word for a movie, 27 (laughs) seconds. Okay, relax, relax. (laughs) I get what you're saying. The thing is that if if that's what the movie's going to center itself around, that's not a problem. That's that's fine. And that would be a great movie. I just don't know if the movie dedicates enough time to that side of the premise, it kind of leaves it for the end. It kind of, you know, reels you in with rom-com, you know, trying to throughout the entire movie. And then it tries to like kind of spin its way out of it and make it more about empowering oneself and being able. I think that the rom-com side of it, like the, where I should say the romance side of it is really the, impetus for her changing because it's not until he comes into her life and you know basically gets her out of her own head and like steals her planner and her and is like you know why don't you just live a little more and obviously writes this scathing piece in the new york journal um about (laughs) her really embarrassing pattern of being always a bridesmaid right and and that whole um betrayal actually pushes her to think maybe i'm gonna miss it again like maybe i do like this guy and maybe i'm just like stuck in my own weight my old ways and i'm not really like living Mm. okay you Um, know yeah, I'm no, holding I, on I to understand. old things. I understand. <laughs> I'm holding on to 27 dresses. To 27 for what? Dress. Yeah. For, for no reason. Yeah. For no reason at all. All right. Uh, let me go ahead and get to the next review here. This is from Good Old TV Guide. <laughs> Would that she'd, the screenwriter, had the courage to follow up on Kevin's declaration that women don't want to be buried, they just want weddings. That might have produced a bitingly funny movie about the war between men and women circa 2008. Instead, 27 Dresses wallows in lazy sentiment and cheap sentimentality, reaching its nadir in the scene in which Kevin and Jane drunkenly bond over mangling the lyrics to Elton John's Benny and the Jets in a blue-collar bar. So this is two reviews in a row that mention about that scene and... Yeah, they're shitting on that scene. They're shitting know. on the scene. I don't understand that. <laughs> it's because... They're, they're watching a rom-com. <laughs> I don't think it's an, as... Well, I guess it's not as endearing as maybe some other types of scenes from other rom-coms who kind of have like something similar happen where two characters are having fun. Like, okay, here's a great example. 
Um, the difference between this and Cameron Diaz singing in My Best Friend's Wedding. Like, these two are <laughs> okay, okay, okay. drunken, so. you know, a mess, having fun. Mm-hmm. And over here, Kimmy is a nervous wreck, you know, singing <laughs> off tune karaoke. Right. The difference is that one of them is very endearing. And it 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 allows you to kind of not only sympathize for the character, but actually root for the character. Whereas this is a culmination of not really much okay, going in the relationship. So here's the thing. I oh, okay, I disagree with that as well. So I think that this is definitely endearing and I think that it pushes the characters together. So like on both fronts, I think that this is like necessary for them because you know, it takes them getting drunk and like sloppy for them to realize for her to realize, oh, she thinks he's sexy. Like that was like a funny point because she like mm-hmm. lets it loose. And he's like, you think I'm sexy? <laughs> and she like tries to backtrack. And he's right. like, no, no, it's already out there. Um, And then they have fun. Like the whole point of her care, the whole growth of her character is that she's super uptight. She has everything under control. She has everything planned out, literally has a planner that she loses. He, he steals it. And in this moment, nothing is planned. Everything goes wrong. And she lets loose and they bond over like weird things. Like, um, what was the weird thing that, oh, he's like, what is your favorite part of the wedding? And she says, my favorite part is looking at the the groom instead of looking at the bride when the bride enters. Mm. And he goes, he, well, he says that. And then she's like, oh, that's my favorite part too. So like, there is some commonality here and that moment between them is really special. And then obviously it, it goes off the rails with the Benny and the Jets. Um, and then after that, they have sex. I don't understand like why people are finding fault. Cause I find so much meaning also in like the lead up to Benny and Benny and the Jets. So I don't know. So <laughs> let, let's take a look at what others say here. So for, this is the last one we have. This is from empire magazine up uh, for, oh, wait, for, wait, 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 wait. I do want to go back to what TV Guide said about I wish that they followed up on Kevin's declaration that women don't want to be married. They just want weddings because I feel like that is a very strong point. It is. That's a very strong point. Something that, you know, this character, Catherine Heigl's character is obsessed with is the weddings. It's not the marriage, you know, Mm -hmm. it's all of the pomp and spectacle of the wedding. So. I think that there is a point to be made there. And and he does make it. Kevin, you know, James Marsden's character is like, you know, women don't want marriages. They want weddings. And they don't really touch too much on his own story. They just say like, yes, he was married once and they like went south. You know, he's divorced. So I wish that there was a little more done there. I think it would have brought an interesting dynamic into the movie because... Mm-hmm. To challenge her more on that. Exactly. Think about think about the premise of one of the greatest ever in When Harry Met Sally. Like mm-hmm. the main mm-hmm. premise is can a man and a woman be friends? Right. And the movie follows through throughout the movie. The thesis is like continually like. Explored. Yeah. Whether it's from the point of Meg Ryan's character or Billy Crystal's character, uh, the 
getting too dangerously close to the line of crossing over past friends or Mm -hmm, going mm -hmm. too far away. So the movie is constantly tugging and pulling at it where, you know, if this movie would have done, maybe it doesn't even have to do like all of that. Like if Mm -hmm. it would have challenged the main character in that way, Mm -hmm. it doesn't really challenge the main character in that way. Right. Or something that could have, done something similar to like a full-on challenge Mm -hmm. is in the end she doesn't have a wedding right that could have been straight to the marriage right or they you know have like a ceremony elope something to that effect where you know it is a full circle moment and it's not that she's not obsessed with weddings anymore but she doesn't need her personal wedding to feel fulfilled Exactly. I think that would have been an interesting way to challenge the character or to show that the character doesn't need a wedding. Like mm-hmm. she is. Fulfilled. It is on a pedestal for her. Yeah, that for character. her. It's a, it, yeah. it's on a pedestal. So being able to challenge your characters in what they on their wants mm-hmm. versus possibly what their needs are, mm-hmm. are, you know, that would have been a cool way of, you know, really challenging the character. And, and right. At least from my own personal view, make make it somewhat a little bit more memorable for me, uh, you know, to have something that really challenges not only her, but also challenges him. Because I do like when the movie does give challenges to both of the people in the couple. Mm -hmm. I'm not as huge a fan of one sided uh, romantic comedies where we're only getting well, not only, but for the most part, the point of view is only one sided. And then the other person from the couple, you know, joins in. And I like seeing the challenge of why is it that they can't get together or why is it that it's taking so long for them to get together? Mm-hmm. So so little things like that is what, if they could have added those, could have made it like a really good rom-com. Now, I'm not saying that the ending where she does have her wedding finally and it's beautiful and it's a beach wedding and... Um, she calls in all those favors. So all of those bride bridesmaids do come back and wear their own hideous bridesmaids dresses to her <laughs> wedding. Um, that's great. Like I, I like that. However, that whole, you know, marriage versus a wedding um, is something that I wish was explored more. Period. I agree. Okay. So the last review that I have gathered, do you want to give it a go? Rico? Yes, I will. It's from Empire Magazine. But for those who love a wacky wedding wheeze, the performances are great fun, particularly from the two leads. Heigl carries this off endearingly, while Marsden, who got this leading man shot on the strength of his performance in Hairspray, is adorable. So adorable, in fact, that it's impossible to grasp why Jane spends so much of the running time fending him off. It almost might have been more interesting if the absurdly spoiled younger sister... Canadian model Ackerman, I didn't know she was a model, uh, weren't a <laughs> selfish, lying witch. There's only room for one deserving bride in this particular taffeta ghetto. Taffeta. Taffeta. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> cute, cute, cute. No bouquets for originality, but it pushes all the buttons of this mini genre. And Heigl and Marsden, ring them bells. <laughs> ring them bells. <laughs> <laughs> that that was an interesting like paragraph. Yeah. Um a lot of alliteration wacky wedding wheeze. Um I think I agree that uh 
Marsden is so charming. You know, even if he's dressed down, like they've he's not right. <laughs> dressed up like in hairspray or enchanted, he's like a a nobody. And I still think that his personality is so bright in this, despite the cynicism, like there's something really charming about him. And the fact that Heigl like is still hung up on this dude is just on her boss. Kinda silly. Yeah. I, it, it's kind of silly. It's ridiculous. Um, they do mention the sister. Do you remember like the sister at all? That character? Barely. Barely remember really? Because I think that sister relationship, it reminded me a lot on rewatch of Hamilton and the Schuyler sisters. Okay. Where the older sister feels all of this responsibility and, you know, basically concedes to the younger sister, sisters, um, for their happiness, you know? Mm, I hear you. That is exactly what happens in this movie. Yes. And it takes all of the runtime for her to basically stand up to her sister and not let her have her way. And in this case, having her way is getting married to her boss, the love of her life. <laughs> and, <laughs> and also the fact that the sister is lying completely about her entire personality and likes and, you know, everything about her is a charade just so that she can trap this dude. Yeah. That's so it's also like she gets her comeuppance at the end of the movie. Right. She does get her comeuppance. So that that's an interesting dynamic to have. I think that's very interesting. It is a very interesting. It's not some like other girl, like a nameless. No person like it's It's your own sister. It's blood sibling. Yeah. (laughs) So. Yeah, that that's that makes it interesting because you know that there there's kind of almost like this rule among sisters or just siblings in general. Like once one person starts dating one person, like they're off limits for everyone else. Never should cross your mind. Never (laughs) should cross your mind. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, So. Yeah, I think it's an interesting premise having that having the Mm -hmm. younger sister play a role. In yeah. everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. And so I honestly feel. I can't knock it there. No, you can't knock it. And I honestly feel like if they redid this movie today, the sister would be even more cringeworthy because now we're living in an Instagram, TikTok, um, you know, social media era where that didn't exist in 2008. Mm. And when the sister says like, oh, I was in um, Italy and Milan and oh, the fashion shows are over like she's in the fashion world. Like you can just tell that she's today she would be either officially in the fashion world and have like, you know, all these followers on Instagram or she'd be an influencer and be the worst possible version of an influencer. (laughs) So. I uh, I think that the sister is probably better written today. Like if you redid it, the movie. Um, I think that her performance is great. M- Malin Ackerman. Yep, Malin Ackerman. You know she's doing crazy shit. Like she's <laughs> yelling at the little brother, uh, Pedro. Like he's hard of hearing. He's just Hispanic. Um, <laughs> 
Like, do you remember like Edward Burns's character is like, oh yeah, I like volunteer, and this is like my little brother. It's like the little, um, little big brother program or whatever it's called. And she's like, nice to meet you. Like screams at the kid. Just like screams. Yeah, at yeah. Um, she says later, like for some reason, girls just don't like me. I don't know why. Like. <laughs> this is after why. she said I don't know why that was after she said she didn't have many girlfriends and that she wanted Judy Greer's character to walk in her wedding because she's really pretty and can pull off a strapless dress like oh like everything about her is like oh my god you want somebody you don't know to walk in your wedding just because they're pretty and they can pull off the dress you want oh god it's such a yeah, problem pretty much <laughs> <laughs> um I uh I think that the OST on this is fire. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. No, no, no. There were needle drops like, you know, MJ is on there. Michael Buble was on there. Valerie by Amy Winehouse. Who knows by Natasha Bedingfield. Be Here Now by Ray LaMontagne. Like a Star by Corinne Bailey Ray. Like, There's some what are good all these songs? tracks on Good there. tracks on There's this song. There's some good tracks. Yes. Good stuff. So you can't, you cannot knock that at all. Um, yeah, that's a fire soundtrack. It is. Not, not a lie. Here, I'll give you, I'll throw you a bone. So he works for the New York Journal. And he said, at some point, his boss says that the wedding and lifestyle section pays for the whole paper. What a <laughs> Because bullshit. of the ads and stuff. Sure. <laughs> and I was um, like, what? No, that that is <laughs> not right <laughs> at all. Oh, oh I man. thought that was hysterical. This is... I don't think this is necessarily a knock on the whole movie, but it is a nitpick. So the apartment that she has, Catherine Heigl's apartment in this movie, amazing, beautiful, large. It's a giant, gorgeous New York apartment fit for any rom-com. The sister walks in and calls it tiny and cute. Yeah, again, <laughs> the the unrealistic way that they portray real estate in movies just continues to rear its head around. <laughs> it is always hilarious to me yes. how they do it, but it's it's so dumb sometimes. The sister walks into like that bar where they're having some party. Yeah, at, for the work for the, like a work party, mm-hmm. and she's wearing like her meet cute dress. And it looks like a mini version of the yellow How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days dress. Ah, uh, yes. Like it like swoops the down tr- in the back. Yeah, the swoop down in the back. That, yeah, but it's like a mini dress. Like it's they a just mini, shorten yeah. it. But it, I, like, I couldn't get out of my mind. And How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days is 03. So it's firmly after the success of that movie. So, so you I know they were looking at I it. I fully and- believe that they took inspiration from the and obviously she's blonde as well it's just like ugh, it all comes together it all comes together i like this line when uh so kept not kevin um edward burns's character goes to propose to tess that character the name tess as well like oh god so not a great you, it it always reminds me of oceans 11 because that's julie roberts name oh, tess always right. reminds me of it right right, right. always well, so he goes to propose, but he forgot his wallet. So Jane shows up, Catherine Heigl's character with his wallet. And like the whole thing starts going, like the band starts playing the tapestry falls, like the Will You Marry Me tapestry. And he cops out and goes, no, no, guys, she's not the one. 
You're just like, oh my oh, god, it's no. too on the nose. I love it. It's very on the nose. It's heartbreaking because she's like, de- it's like shocked and devastated at the same time. Yep. <laughs> Let's talk about Judy Greer. Oh, Judy Greer, Greer is a major plus for this movie. Yes, totally agree. Uh, Judy Greer is. Is there ever a time where you can feel like she's a bad part of anything? You're right. I don't think she is. No. Ever. Only adds salt of the earth. Yeah. Um, she's she's incredible. Incredible. I love when she shows up in the movie and like she looks a mess and she's pissed in the bridesmaid's dress. Mm-hmm. Her hair is like <laughs> her hair is like up in like a messy bun, and Heigl just looks at her, gives her a look, and she goes, "What? The bitch said up. It's up." <laughs> <laughs> and la- listen, like this movie hits different when you've been a bridesmaid a few times, and I felt that in my bones. I felt that line. I felt everything about Judy Greer's character, especially when it came to like weddings. Like, what's the point? Like, why am I here? She like bridesmaids don't really, really do anything. <laughs> no. In this day and don't age, really do anything. there's nothing to do. So she shows up and she's like, well, I'm here to get laid. Hey, hey. Yeah, I, I like her character. I think that she's. Fun and even if she's stereotypical, like oh yeah, she's just like the best friend character who's uh, with loose morals, like you know, sleeps around, like whatever. I like her. I think she's fun. And when they're taking that yoga class, <laughs> and Catherine Heigl's like telling her all the cheese, all the I was gonna say cheese, but like I don't know if y'all know, cheese is short for cheese in Spanish. Like, <laughs> so. Here, I'll translate it for you guys. Like when she's giving her all the tea in the yoga class, she's talking super loud and she calls the sister a whore really loudly in the class. And the teacher like bangs a gong to shut them up. She just goes like namaste (laughs) after calling the sister a whore. Yeah, she's just like namaste. (laughs) (laughs) Um, there's certain things that I like, like certain like lines when they walk into that bar for the Benny and the Jet sequence, Mm -hmm. James Marsden tells the bartender, excuse me, your payphone doesn't work. And he goes, good work. You're like one of those guys on CSI. Oh, God. (laughs) And then James (laughs) Marsden's like, oh, this guy got jokes. Like he's like entertained by it, not necessarily offended. (laughs) Oh, goodness. (laughs) Malin Ackerman, when she when the whole like uh, uh, article comes out, she freaks out and she <laughs> she's like, you better alert traffic control because Bridezilla is on the loose. And she's got like these crazy eyes. Like, I'll never forget it. <laughs> like, it's really <laughs> funny. Um, I don't know if you felt any type of way about the wedding dress and it being the mom's wedding dress that Tess gets to wear. Uh, it, so if we're talking about just in, in concept of who she get to wear or who gets what in the family, like when it gets passed down. Yeah. So there was basically, you know, the wedding dress was saved so that the sisters could wear it. One of them could wear it on their wedding day. Right. The dad trods it out as soon as Tess announces that she's engaged and 
the thing of it is that like Tess doesn't really care about the dress and never plans to wear the dress throughout her whole life and doesn't even like the style of the dress. Like there's all these things. And then Catherine Heigl's character, Jane, is very much into wearing this dress and honoring her mother in that way. Yeah. So Tess takes it. It sucks. Cuts it up like a Thanksgiving turkey. And uses just bits of the dress to create her own new dress. And it's such a blow for Jane. It it really sucks. Like every time I watch a movie, I'm like, this is a terrible thing. Like really tense scene. You know, she's just like. What was the thing she said? Today, you're just some bitch who broke my art and cut up my mother's wedding dress. Like. Yeah. Crazy. Like, it is a great scene. Um, And I don't know. I don't know if you necessarily, like, feel any type of way about it. I think that there is a dynamic there that in this context, I, I can't speak too much about it because of that. But the passing of something from a parent to to a child in some way, shape, or form, where there's multiple uh, kids who can try to lay claim to it, um, kind of sucks because, <laughs> you know, especially like if let for example, one of the biggest ones I think is if a grandmother or mother is passing their ring mm. to for a son to be able to use for a proposal. Right. And they have more than one son. And and I don't know if there's like a promise as to who can get it first. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it kind of goes to whoever gets engaged first in a way. And it kind of sucks, especially if one person has more of an attachment to to said object because of their relationship with either the mother or anything like that. So, yeah. yeah, Oof. That is that's a tough. It's one. tough. That, is that was a tough. tough. One. It's a tough watch. Um, I like this is the last thing I have on my notes. Um, James Marsden comes to see her after she's blown up, imploded. Um, Tess's relationship with George. You know, mm. they have that whole um reveal where she did a slideshow of them, and she like totally broke the news that like Tess is lying about everything and kevin shows up and says like i think you deserve to be taken care of and i love that line Mm. that's not a bad line i love that line i love that he tries to basically like improve her life one last time even if she doesn't like go to him like he gives her a blackberry and he's already loaded it with like all of her stuff all of her appointments and it's just like very thoughtful and even if the movie ended like and they never got together and it was just like that empowering mm-hmm. uh, line that I was talking about before, I think it would have done its job because there was like a closeness between them and he like understood her, you know? I see what you're saying. So I liked it. I like that a lot. Then, of course, like she like goes on the yacht where there's another wedding that he's covering and like, you know, she gets on the mic and it's this whole like, you know. 
It's typical rom com. Typical rom com. Um, this is where we get the typical yeah. rom com stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Falls into old habits, but I like that. You know, he's like, I'm very, I'm so sorry, like about what happened. I didn't think it was going to run. I hoped it didn't. I told her not to run the story, and I know that I've hurt you. And ultimately, I think you deserve to be taken care of. She's always taking care of other people. She's a very motherly. And you know, he's like, he doesn't explicitly say this, but like. I can take care of you, right? Mm-hmm. I will take care of you. I'm willing to do that. That's what he means. So it is nice. It's good. It's nice. It's nice. All right. So All right. we've gotten here to the end. We've we've kind of discussed this. I I will say that you you defended the movie way better <laughs> than I could knock it down, only because I wasn't really I'm only choosing movies that I'm really passionate about. Last year was She's the She's the Man. That's another right. one that we should do. Um, no, She's All That. Yes, and two different And 27 movies. Dresses. I'm not saying it's a, it's a favorite, but I am pretty passionate that it's getting a bad rap. I can tell you that the Rotten Tomato score just doesn't reflect like what it really is. Yeah, that is a pretty low score. Uh, when I you know, came into this movie, I didn't really come into it looking to, you know, bat it down. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I wasn't. Uh, I think the movie, it, it's fine. Is it one of my favorite rom-coms? No. Uh, but again, I've I think seen it's decent. worse. And yes, there's I've worse I've seen much there. worse than oh this. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. you know, I think it can be enjoyable in moments. I, there's a couple of things that I wish... It did more, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's still an enjoyable one. So I didn't come in really looking to knock it down too hard. All right. And I think with that, I think we could go ahead and say that we are done or you're done (laughs) of your in defense of 27 dresses. This has been in defense of 27 dresses. Check it out if if you are so inclined. I know that right now it's on on HBO. Yes, it is. It is on HBO right now. So, yeah, check it out. Why not? It's January. Uh, There's not very many movies unless you're trying to catch up on 2021. So, but other than that, check it out. Why not? So, if this is your first time listening to us, thank you for giving this episode a shot. I know this is not our normal programming, but we like to have fun every once in a while with different things. So thank you for checking this episode out. If you want to follow us on social media, you can follow us at always critic pod. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. So you can find us on all the social medias there at always critic pod. If you are a fan of the show, make sure that you're subscribed on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Podcasts, and many more. Uh, Leave us a five-star review, not only on Apple Podcasts, but also on Spotify. You can now rate and review shows there. Go ahead and rate and review us there. Five stars goes a long way for us. And finally, if you are a super fan, you've done all of that, go ahead and consider becoming a patron on patreon.com slash alwayscriticpod. That way you could support the show in more ways than just listening, but also monetarily you can help support us with as little as $2 a month to help us create more content for you guys. So we would greatly appreciate that. With all of that said, that has been today's episode. I'm Rico. And I'm Jessica. And this has been the Always the Critic podcast. (laughs) 